0: but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hey, this is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie. So recently I picked a fight on Twitter, or I guess I should say X, with a guy named Ryan Zinke. You may remember him as President Trump's former interior secretary. He was the guy who rode in on a horse to his first day in office in D.C. He wrote out, by the way, on multiple ethics scandals. He was facing questions about his uh, air travel, char- taking chartered airlines, as well as travel for his wife through uh, the ministry. Anyways, these days, Zinke is a congressman for his home state of Montana. And a few months ago, he posted a video of himself on the steps of the U.S. Capitol building. That day, the air was so hazy with wildfire smoke, you couldn't even see the Washington Monument.
1: You know, I don't have any sympathy for politicians in Washington, D.C. that are complaining today about the forest fires in Canada. Our forests need to be managed, and whether you're a climate change activist or a denier, it doesn't really need the responsibility to manage our forests. And if you don't manage our forests, This is what happens. So welcome to Montana, Washington, D.C.
0: My first thought was, how is American forest policy going to stop these massive fires in Canada? Because all that smoke, it was pouring down from the boreal forests of Quebec. So that's what I tweeted at him. And then I got a snarky reply from Zinke's chief of staff saying,
2: Don't be cute, Nate. He never said the Canadian fires were a result of U.S. policies. He used the smoke in D.C. to show people what happens in the West every year because of poor management.
0: Okay, fine. Like, that was a metaphor. But the response still irked me. Because from what I can tell, active forest management is a political code word for logging. It's been a conservative talking point for years, from lawmakers. Unfortunately, this is what happens when you have more lawyers in your forest crawling around versus loggers. From talk radio. They don't want us to do logging. They don't want us to to do any thinning
1: projects. They just want to, to let it all burn. Fox News. Now, nature is brutal, and if you leave forests unattended, they will eventually catch on fire and burn.
0: I don't think this is entirely true. My hunch has always been that some Republicans use wildfires as an excuse to push a pro logging agenda and to avoid talking about the big reason they're really happening climate change. I wanted to tweet all of this back at Zinke's chief of staff, but then I stopped. Because maybe I'm wrong. Can quote unquote active forest management actually stop the smoke? Today on Outside In, I'm pressing pause on this Twitter fight to fact-check my assumptions and study up on wildfire smoke. We'll find out why Canadian wildfires are accelerating so fast, and we'll find out if logging is actually part of the
1: solution. We need those loggers back. We need the sawmills back. Stay tuned.
0: I've lived out west for two decades now, so smoky days aren't new to me. But I had a layover in New York City earlier this summer, and I've got to admit, the skyline looked like it was from Blade Runner. The sun was a red orb in the sky. It was freaky. At one point, more than 120 million people in the East Coast and Midwest were under air quality alerts.
3: And pretty much all of it was coming from what's called the Boreal Forest. The Boreal Forest is the largest... Uh, ecosystem on Earth. That's John
0: Valiant. He recently wrote a book that's all about wildfires
3: in the boreal. And it really is like a a green halo or something around the top of the globe.
0: In Russia, it's known as the Taiga. And here in North America, it dips down as far as northern Minnesota and Maine. But it's mostly in the subarctic parts of northern Canada and Alaska.
3: If you're at drone level, you know, you're going to see just a sea of trees. Uh, interspersed with bogs, the occasional lake, the occasional massive lake where you will lose your drone because it simply cannot fly across it. The boreal is dense, muggy, and muddy. It's also a huge carbon sink and the largest source of fresh water on Earth. What's particularly significant, though, about the, the boreal what what sets it apart from temperate and tropical forest systems, is the fact that it burns a lot, and and fire is Part and parcel of the life cycle of many boreal species. Historically, fire has acted like a reset button for the forest.
0: It clears out all the old or sick trees and the underbrush, making room for new trees to grow. Like, there's this one species, the black spruce. It's this Dr. Seuss looking conifer tree with a drooping top, and its pine cones will only open when they feel the heat from a fire. So, Fire is good for the boreal, but ever since the turn of the century, these wildfires are getting bigger and more extreme. And that's because of, you guessed it, climate change.
3: We've had temperatures over 100 Fahrenheit in the northern boreal which is simply inconceivable to most northerners. And yet the thermometer is there, thermometer doesn't lie.
0: On top of the heat, snow and rainfall in the northern boreal has been on the decline since the 1950s.
3: The boreal forest is a a historically naturally damp, often sodden place, but so is your laundry when it comes out of the washing machine. And if you throw your laundry out on the line, on a damp, cloudy, 60-degree day, it's gonna stay wet probably all day. You throw it out on a 95-degree day with 30 knots of wind and brilliant sun, and that thing's gonna be dry in 20 minutes. So the forest floor isn't that different. You throw some wind in there, you throw some sparks, embers, a hot muffler, a cigarette, a campfire. And you can have a full-on firestorm. We're talking wildfires
0: so big that they create their own weather. One of the first big ones was back in 2001 in northern Alberta. Story goes like this. A U.S. Navy scientist was sitting at his desk looking over satellite information.
3: And he saw this massive aerosol plume driving up through the troposphere into the stratosphere with so much energy and force that that there were only two causes— a volcano, or a nuclear explosion, which does the same thing. And he knew enough about uh, Canadian geology to know there were no volcanoes in Alberta. And so he called officials in in the province of Alberta and said, um, have you just detonated a nuke? They
0: had not. It was a massive wildfire burning in a remote part of the boreal. Scientists later calculated that it was releasing the energy equivalent of multiple hydrogen bombs. All this kicked up this ferocious black cloud called a pyrocumulonimbus, or pyro for short.
3: We are talking Old Testament stuff here. They can puncture the stratosphere, they can become an obstacle to a jet plane, and they generate their own lightning, they generate their own hail. PyroCBs, they can even generate their own
0: tornadoes. John saw the aftermath of one of these fire tornadoes in Redding, California,
3: back in 2018. It picks up F-150 pickups and just throws them around. It it takes 100-foot high-tension electricity pylons made out of steel, rips them out of the ground, crumples them into a ball, and throws them into the forest. It's, it's, It's energy that we have never seen before. That's what we're dealing
0: with now, this year, nearly 43 million acres of Canada have burned. That's an area bigger than New England. Whole towns have gone up in flames. pyro they used to be a rarity, something only fire nerds knew about. But this spring and summer, there have been more than 90 of them. And even though the fires themselves are more terrifying than ever, it's the smoke that winds up affecting more people. It can cause headaches, Red eyes, but also wheezing, coughing, respiratory illnesses. Long-term exposure to wildfire smoke kills an estimated 6,300 people every year in the U.S. So, is there a solution? When you don't manage your forest, this is what happens. So, welcome to Montana, Washington, D.C., That's Ryan Zinke again. To find out what he means when he calls for active forest management, I reached out to Courtney Schultz.
2: Are you like a partisan podcast or? No,
0: no, we're public radio. Yeah. So I'm curious about whether my assumptions are right or not. Courtney is a professor at Colorado State University and is an expert on wildfire policy. She's testified in front of Congress multiple times. And she says one reason we're seeing all these big wildfires is that we've had a century of forest suppression. And all those years of putting out small fires has led to a big buildup of fuel.
2: It's almost like we have a fire debt that has accumulated and now is coming due.
0: This wasn't a plot by Democrats or environmentalists or something, by the way. Fire suppression was the policy of the U.S. Forest Service going back to the 1920s. But that's changed. And what Courtney also told me is that active forest management is a real phrase used by folks in the Forest Service and other agencies.
2: Generally, I would say when people are talking about active forest management, they're talking about cutting trees and they're talking about applying fire to the land.
0: So the Republicans are right. The experts do advocate for logging or, as Courtney puts it, thinning. But thinning and prescribed burns, they aren't magic bullets.
2: Yes, we can use active management, thinning and prescribed burning to reduce fire behavior. But could we do it everywhere so fast that we can undo the last hundred years of what's happened um, and counter the effects of climate change? I don't think so.
0: You see, these forests are big. They cover nearly half of Canada and a third of the US. Stopping all wildfires through thinning, it would be like trying to mow a massive lawn with a pair of scissors. Instead, Wildfire experts like Courtney say active forest management is best used strategically to create a kind of buffer zone around the stuff you really want to protect.
2: Whether that's your house. Get your wood pile away from your house, mow your grass down as far as you can. Your town. Clear your trees back so that you don't have as much fuel near your community.
0: Or old growth forests or other wild places we really want to protect.
2: But yeah, we're not gonna be able to do it everywhere. So we're gonna want to start, you know, with the home and kind of work outwards.
0: But what if we're in the middle of a drought, in the summer, with temperatures 30 degrees above normal? During years like that... Fire operates more like hurricanes or earthquakes, these large-scale natural events that, despite how hard we try, we, we can't really get in the way of and alter. That's Phil Higuera. He's a fire ecologist at the University of Montana. And he says no amount of active forest management can get in the way of these massive climate-driven firestorms.
3: Another way to think of this is, you know, we wear seatbelts in cars, right? It's been shown that seatbelts are very effective at increasing our likelihood of surviving a crash, reducing injuries, We also
0: know that if you're driving at 100 miles an hour and you crash into a wall, we don't expect a seatbelt to do anything at that point. So if this is the case, why do some Republicans focus on active forest management as the solution for severe wildfires? And what do they mean when they use that phrase? That's coming up right after the break. Hey, this is Nate Hedge of Outside In, and the show has hit the 250th episode mark, and we heard from one listener who has listened to every single one of our shows in just
3: four months. My name is Dale Freeman, and I live in Berkeley, California. I came across Outside In when I was listening to Bear Brook, and they cross-promoted the Underdogs episode. I was hooked. I really value long-form narrative storytelling. I really enjoy that. And you guys do it at such a high level that whatever the topic is, uh, I mean, I want to go through the, you know, the maple forests. You know, I want to feel what it's like to experience the wind on the top of, I think it's Mount Washington. And so I can't be there physically, but you make me want to be there. And I just, I love that.
0: We hope to keep telling stories for listeners like Dale, and we need your help to make that possible. If you donate $5 a month, we'll give you a brand spanking new Outside In baseball cap. It is a classy dark blue. It's really cool. I've got one coming in the mail right now that I'm super psyched about. We also have a special sticker for the first 250 people who make any donation. Check out a picture of the hat and sticker at OutsideInRadio.org, or you can find a link in the show notes. Hey, this is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie. Earlier this summer, I was watching a congressional hearing on wildfires. I noticed that Republicans, they steered the conversation towards logging
1: a lot. So we need those loggers back. We need the sawmills back. You see the decline in uh, forest production, and you see the incline of fires over the last, um, what would that be, 40 years.
0: Instead of burning all this timber and sending carbon up in the atmosphere, we could be building houses. We could be building businesses. The main thrust of their argument was this, that a healthy, thriving timber industry means a healthy, thriving forest, one that doesn't burn as severely or as regularly as it does now. Courtney Schultz, that wildfire policy expert, she actually testified during this hearing.
2: Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you today. I'm a professor at Colorado State University and for almost 20 years... I've
0: Courtney been- thinks this is a classic case of correlation does not mean causation. In the 20th century, the United States had a lot more timber production on public lands. It actually peaked in the late 1980s and early 90s, but then it declined. There was less demand, foreign lumber got cheaper, and there were a lot of environmental lawsuits that froze up timber sales on public lands. And that drop in American logging, it correlated with a rise in catastrophic megafires.
2: It's almost like an intuitive reasoning, like, gosh, if we just had less fuel out there, it would burn less.
0: But that's not the whole story, because in Canada, and remember, most of that smoke this year was actually coming from Canada. Logging has actually increased over the past decade. And they are having the same problems with fire. And another thing? The timber industry has traditionally gone after these big, high-value trees, the ones you can build houses out of. But...
2: The areas that probably need the most active management are not places with valuable timber. And actually, a lot of places where we wanna get the work done, the trees have low value or absolutely no value, or it would actually cost the government money to get the stuff out of the woods.
0: That's because what really needs to get cleared out are all the small, sickly, dead, or dying trees and brush. This does not mean that the timber industry can't play a role in helping to thin forests. Courtney says the government could just pay timber companies to clear out the brush via contracts. And this year, Republicans introduced a bill that would make it much easier to thin forests. It's called the Proven Forest Management Act, and it would fast-track thinning projects on public lands if they're less than 10,000 acres. Right now, operations like that, they undergo years of environmental review before they're approved. But this bill, it would essentially get rid of those reviews if it's in the name of wildfire prevention. The bill is based on a pilot project around public lands in Lake Tahoe. They tripled the amount of land they thinned over the past decade. The Forest Service says it actually helped stop a big fire from burning down a town there. It also produced a lot more timber. In fact, a new sawmill just opened up to handle all those dead or small trees. The first new one in more than a century. So you could argue that Republicans are really trying to do something about wildfires by focusing on active forest management. But you could also argue that the GOP is missing the forest for the trees. At that hearing I watched, Republicans barely mentioned climate change, one of the key drivers of more severe wildfires. And Every expert I spoke with told me that any short-term plan to combat these fires should go hand-in-hand with long-term plans to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. But guys like Ryan Zinke aren't doing that. In fact, he co-sponsored a bill that would fast-track drilling projects and remove incentives for fossil fuel companies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. In interviews, he pretty much shrugs climate change off.
1: The temperatures are rising, the season's getting longer, but... We have to look at managing the forest. When you talk to the firefighters out there, when you talk to Cal Fire...
0: So, now that I had learned all about active forest management and talked to the experts, I decided to get back in touch with Ryan Zinke. I asked him for an interview, fully expecting him to say no. But he agreed to talk to me.
1: Hey, you got Ryan Zinke. Good
0: morning. Hey, Congressman, how are you? You know, it's it's interesting being back. First off, Zinky is a pretty affable dude. Kind of guy I'd get a beer with. Like we somehow started talking about how ridiculous the show Yellowstone is, which is set in our home state of Montana.
1: But it's a drama that's set in Montana. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like Star Wars is a drama set in space.
0: Yellowstone aside, we mostly talked about how to make wildfires less severe. And here's the thing, if I wanted to I could pull clips that would make you think he's actually super progressive on issues about the climate.
1: Uh I think climate change uh is a mega trend. It is, it is it is not a fad.
0: He sounded like a proponent for
1: solar. I've always thought the best place for a solar cell is on top of a roof. He
0: even had this analogy for how Democrats and Republicans can be working together. Uh a, a boat has
1: two oars. Now I will I will admit I'm the right oar. I am the right oar. Uh, but I do recognize there's a left or, And if you only use one or, what happens? You go in circles.
0: Montana's soul resides in the land, so Republican lawmakers here have to walk a line between protecting and celebrating natural resources without sounding like environmentalists, per se. Zinke kept calling himself a Teddy Roosevelt conservative, what do you think Teddy Roosevelt would
1: think about climate change these days? That's a you know that's a really interesting question, and I would only have, uh, answer it in the context of his writings and what he what he believed in, and mostly as the show model of best science, best practices, greatest good, longest term.
0: But every time I tried to talk about climate change in any detail. The conversation went sideways. You know, if we want to stop global temperature rise at let's say two degrees above pre-industrial times, uh, we need to be carbon neutral by 2050. Knowing that, what well, is right, what? Right, what, right, what, right,
1: what right, wait is, okay, what, I think the premise is is not accurate. So,
0: Zinke would go out of his way to make it sound like the science was up for debate.
1: Is it significant? Uh, is man causing the driver of it? Are there other issues? He'd cherry pick data. Sea level rise is somewhere between point or one millimeter a year and a couple of millimeters a year.
0: What he's not mentioning here is that that number is projected to rise a lot faster as the polar ice caps melt. Zinke would also repeat popular climate misinformation you hear on Fox News.
1: For instance, the volcanic actions in Tonga uh, that admitted 50 million tons of water vapor. It was the biggest disruption in history on on instrumentation of uh, recorded history. That volcano, by the way,
0: was a blip on the radar. It'll temporarily warm the earth a bit, but nothing that's on the scale of fossil fuels. In other words, when it came to one of the biggest drivers of more severe wildfires, Zinke dodged. And every expert I spoke with said this is something you cannot dodge. Here's the thing, and maybe I'm just being petty about the tweet that started this whole thing, but nothing we've talked about in this episode is going to stop the smoke. Active forest management might save some homes, but the fires and the smoke, they're going to keep burning and they're going to get worse. And that's not something that Ryan Zinke or his counterparts in Canada
3: seem willing to admit. So a shorthand way for Americans to understand Alberta is it's, it's basically Texas, Without as many guns.
0: That's John Valiant again, the author of Fireweather. That book, by the way, covers a 2016 boreal fire that burned down an entire oil town in northern Alberta.
3: And in spite of this, uh, people on the conservative side are, are really reluctant to talk about climate. They've actually put a moratorium on, new re- on renewable energy projects, basically to favor oil and gas. For
0: John, there is a sad, poetic irony to all this.
3: We talk about energy, we talk about oil and gas, we talk about petroleum, we talk about fossil fuels. What we're really talking about is fire. The only reason we're interested in everything from coal to butane and everything in between is because it burns. And there is this sense and this wish that we can manage our way out of these problems. And really, what we have to manage is our appetites. And one of those appetites is for fire-powered energy. Until that time comes, we'll try to keep these wildfires
0: under control through whatever means possible. But expect even the best laid plans to sometimes go up in smoke. One thing we really didn't touch on much in this episode is prescribed burning, the other big part of active forest management. If you want to learn more about what that is, why it's so important, we're going to put some links into the show notes and also check out our old episode 10 by 10, Pine Barrens. And before I go, I've got a quick favor to ask. Our series, The Underdogs, is in the running for a podcast award for best sports documentary. There's also a listener's choice, which requires fans to vote, so if you've literally got 20 seconds to spare, check out the link in the show notes and cast your vote for the underdogs. We're really proud of how it turned out, and we'd love to see it get some more love. This episode was written and produced by me, Nate Hedgie. It was edited by Taylor Quimby. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. Music for this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
1: To a degree... That series uh, reflects the Galt family. I didn't know that. And yes, they do have a helicopter, and I think their holdings are somewhere around 350,000 acres.